Last Sunday, we began looking at the baptism of Jesus. And of course, one of the, the big questions that comes out of that story is, why did Jesus need to be baptized anyway? You know, John the Baptist had been baptizing people as they confessed and repented of their sins. Uh, but as the sinless son of God, Jesus had no, no need to confess or, or repent of any sin. You know, he had lived his life in perfect obedience to God. And so baptism would really seem unnecessary. John the Baptist even said to Jesus, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And that's the key right there. Jesus had to carry out all that God required. And namely, at this point, Jesus was to identify with sinful man, taking our sin on upon himself as if it were his own. This was a key part of God's plan to redeem mankind. Uh, this would be one of the first steps uh, in Jesus going to the cross, taking our sin upon himself and paying the penalty for us. Um, and of course, as Jesus obediently submitted to the will of his heavenly father in baptism, both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit uh, made a, a dramatic statement of approval of what Jesus was doing. Uh, of course, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and settled upon Jesus, and, and uh, a voice from heaven uh, said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Uh, this was very clear affirmation for everyone who was witness of this, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and that he was doing exactly what his heavenly Father wanted him to do. Uh, and this was almost like a, a commissioning of Jesus as he was uh, about to begin his, his life's mission. However, there was one further step of preparation before Jesus could begin his public ministry. Uh, in the very next verse, right after God said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We read this in the beginning of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now this may seem like an odd thing to do right after God approves or declares his approval and the joy that he has in his son. You know, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil? You know, what is, what is this all about? Is this like a, like a test? You know, kind of the, the final exam for Jesus before he begins his public ministry? Is this another necessary part uh, of God's uh, plan to redeem mankind? You know, is, is there something else going on here? How does this all fit together? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning. But before we begin, let's pause here and pray and ask God to teach us something from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, it's such an encouragement, you know, as we look back and, and we saw the little video about Daniel and, and how, you know, there's, there's a lot of hard stuff to understand. But, you know, there's a, a basic underlining principle that applies to us. And God, as we look at uh, some of these stories in the New Testament, uh, of some of the, the elements, the stories of life, uh, the life of Jesus, uh, I pray that as we look at those things, uh, we would catch on to, to some of those principles, those key things that you want us to know and apply to our lives. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning uh, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm in. So today we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. Um, and we did read verse 1 already just a moment ago, but let me just read that again uh, with verse 2 together now, uh, because these really set the stage for the rest of the passage. So it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. So first of all, you'll notice that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God intentionally brought Jesus into a place where he would be tested and tried by Satan himself. Now, to be clear, God was not doing the tempting, but he did intentionally bring Jesus into a place where he would be subject to temptation. 
The question is, why? Well, <laughs> the short answer is that we're not specifically told. Uh, the Bible doesn't explain God's motives and his reasonings in this particular instance. However, I think we can deduce a few possibilities. Uh, one reason could be that this was a necessary part of Jesus's growth and development in his relationship with his heavenly father. Uh, you'll remember that as a human, Jesus had to grow and learn, uh, which is hard for us to, to wrap our minds around, I, I know. But Hebrews 5.8 reminds us, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now, that's not to say that Jesus was, was previously disobedient, not that way, but it does seem that his, his depth and uh, his dependence on God grew as Jesus went through difficult things, you know, as, as our faith grows in difficult things as well. You know, I think most of us recognize that uh, most of the, the difficult times in our lives are the times that cause us to draw close to, to God and to grow in our relationship with him. You know, when things are going good, you know, we, we just tend to kind of rely on our own strength. We, we don't give God all that much thought. But when life gets hard, you know, we realize, oh, I, I really got to put my trust in God. And so it's these difficult times in our lives that are actually a blessing to us because they teach us to stop relying on ourselves and instead to rely on God. And so for Jesus, these 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness, spending time alone with God in prayer, you know, they would no doubt serve as a, a very unique classroom in which Jesus would learn even greater dependence upon God. And I think we see some of the results of that as we keep going through this passage. Now, another purpose for why the Holy Spirit may, uh, may have led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil was that this could be yet another way for Jesus to identify with sinful man in every way, uh, like we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we read from uh, Hebrews 4.15, which says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In his humanity, Jesus experienced all the same testings that we do. You know, when Jesus was tempted out there in the wilderness, Satan did his best to, to draw Jesus into sin, just like he does with us. And so Jesus knows what it's like to face the, the schemes and the lies of the devil because, you know, he's faced them himself. And what's more, he had victory over them. Uh, this verse in Hebrews tells us, and our passage today affirms that Jesus did not sin, even though he was tempted. And I think that's maybe one of the, the key applications that we can uh, apply to our lives as we come out of this today is, is we can see how Jesus did that. You know, Jesus models for us how we can stand against and have victory over the temptations that Satan sends our way. And, and so with that in mind, let's take a look at, at the first of these uh, three temptations that we'll see Jesus dealing with. So verse 3 says, During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, you'll remember that we just read in verse 2 that Jesus had not eaten anything for 40 days, right? And he was very hungry, it says, which is completely understandable and probably a little bit of an understatement, to say the least. Uh, the internet tells me that death occurs usually somewhere between 43 and 70 days without food. And so, you know, Jesus is right there. Death is imminent if he doesn't get some food soon. And so Satan comes along and he offers him a, a simple way to fix the problem. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, most commentaries say that Satan wasn't trying to, you know, get Jesus to prove that he was the son of God. Uh, the phrase, 
if you are the son of God really means since you are the son of God. You know, I don't think either Satan or Jesus had any doubt about who Jesus was. And both of them knew that Jesus had the power, if he so desired, to turn these rocks into bread. The question is whether or not Jesus would choose to satisfy the, the demands of his flesh, effectively taking a shortcut to the end of this, this test that the Holy Spirit had led him to, rather than submitting to the will of God, waiting for God to provide for his needs in God's time and in God's way. And, and of course, eating food is not a bad thing, right? It, it, in fact, it would be very necessary soon for Jesus or he would die. But Jesus had been led to the to the holy or led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to to fast and to learn dependence upon God. And so to take matters into his own hands now would be a failure to, to trust and obey his heavenly Father. And by the way, you'll you'll notice that that's the way that Satan often tempts us, not with things that are you know necessarily bad in themselves, but by taking matters into our own hands. Uh, doing things in our time and in our way rather than waiting to do things in God's time and in God's way. It's failing to trust that God's ways are best. Most of the time we have uh, very legitimate needs and desires, but Satan tempts us to satisfy those needs and desires in a way that's outside of God's will. And that's really the, the basis for most of our temptations. And so I think Jesus's response to this temptation is very helpful for us as we face our temptation. So let's have a look. Jesus responds in verse four. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is actually a quotation uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is as Moses is addressing the children of Israel as they've kind of wrapped up their time in their wilderness. Uh, so let me just read those verses for you to kind of uh, see the context there. So Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 2. Moses says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Now, as we look at that passage, we can certainly see some parallels between Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness and the Israelites' 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, for both of those groups during that time, God used their hunger to teach them to trust God. Uh, you'll recall that as the, the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness for those 40 years, God provided manna for them to eat uh, each day. But God them, gave them very specific instructions on how they were to gather it, right? Uh, he said, you're only to gather as much as you needed for that day. Don't save it for the next day because it would go bad and, and moldy the next day if you did. So just gather what you needed for that day, except on the day before the Sabbath. On that day, they had to gather twice as much, gather enough for two days. And it wouldn't go bad because God was not going to have uh, manna available on the Sabbath. And of course, many of the Israelites chose to disobey that and they, they realized, yeah, if we save it, it goes bad. If we try to gather it on the Sabbath, it's not there. So they learned to trust God through their, their hunger in that way. 
The lesson, of course, being in all this, is that God would always supply all of their needs. They didn't have to worry about that. What they did have to worry about was being obedient to God. That was to be their primary concern. And as long as they did that, God would supply for all of their needs. And I think that's what Jesus is bringing up here. Bread is important. Yes, absolutely. But not nearly as important as being obedient to every word that comes from the mouth of God. As, as he said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think that's a really valid, important reminder for us as well. You know, God knows about our needs, right? He knows about our need for, for food and shelter, those basic necessities. He knows about our need for, for love and acceptance. He knows about our need for security and comfort, right? He knows all about those things. Those are very real and pressing needs that we experience. And God understands that. And he has promised to meet all of our needs. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 4, 19, he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You know, God will provide for our needs, but so often we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. You know, we don't truly believe that God is going to supply our needs. He's not going to give us what we need. And so we sin and we attempt to get what we don't have uh, by doing things in our own way. We don't wait for God. We don't do things in his way. And we do things that are outside of the will of God. But what we need to do it's just to trust and obey God, being obedient to him, trusting that if we obey him, he will take care of all of our needs. We need to do things in his time and in his way. You know, as, as urgent as we, we believe our needs to be, uh, there's nothing more urgent or more important than being obedient to the word of God. You know, Jesus would later teach this very same principle to his disciples. Uh, in Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. That is live in obedience to the word of God and he will give you everything you need. And I know, I know that's easier said than done, but Jesus could say this from experience, right? He had learned to be obedient and to trust his heavenly father in the wilderness and among other times as well, I'm sure. And God did provide for all of his needs, as we will soon see. So Satan's first attempt to draw Jesus into sin uh, was an utter failure. Jesus refused to waver in his trust in God, but Satan wasn't about to give up. Verse five now. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. 
So having seen how Jesus countered his first temptation with scripture, uh, Satan decides to quote some scripture himself. We ought not think that Satan is ignorant of what the Bible says. I would imagine he probably has it better memorized than probably any of us. But simply knowing what the Bible says doesn't really do a whole lot for you. You actually have to obey it and properly apply it to your lives. And I say properly apply it because here Satan is trying to get Jesus to apply this particular scripture in a way that it was never intended. Uh, Satan is taking this passage it's from uh, Psalm 91 and he's twisting it to, to say something that the, the author never intended it to say. While Psalm 91 does talk about how God will rescue from danger those who trust in him, you know, what Satan is suggesting is that Jesus create an artificial crisis to kind of uh, to force God's hand, so to speak. You know, it's one thing to live in obedience to God, uh, especially when you go through difficult circumstances. But it's quite another thing to put yourself intentionally in some perilous situation uh, to try to prove to everyone that God is with you. You know, certainly it would be quite spectacular for Jesus to, to jump down from the, the temple peak in view of all the crowds that had gathered there and, and see the angels swoop in and rescue him and bring him safely to the ground. You know, that would be, you know, quite a, quite a miraculous thing that would really kickstart Jesus's ministry. I mean, who's going to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah after they witnessed that? But of course, like we mentioned earlier, that would be taking matters into his own hands, not doing things God's way and in God's time. You know, for Jesus to, to throw himself from the temple roof uh, would really not be a, an act of trust in God, as Satan was suggesting, but really it would be an act of, of trying to manipulate God. And so in response to Satan's attempt to, to twist the scriptures, uh, Jesus responded with a properly applied passage, uh, this one from Deuteronomy 6. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Uh, the passage that Jesus is quoting here uh, refers to the time when the Israelites tested God out in the wilderness when they had no water to drink. Uh, the, through their complaints, they were, they were really doubting God's presence and God's ability or desire to care for them. Uh, Exodus 17 says that they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord with us here or not? Um, but you know, if you have to test God, that kind of shows that you don't really trust him, right? You don't have to test something that you have full confidence in, do you? Like you, just for an example, uh, in the fall, when, when the weather starts to get cold and the ice starts to form on the lake, you're probably pretty wise to check and test the ice before you go out into the middle, right? But after three months of minus 30, you don't have to bother testing. You can take your truck right out in the middle of the lake and you don't even worry about it, right? You don't have to test something that you have full confidence in. And, and that's the principle here. We don't need to test the Lord because he's already proven himself time and time and time again. And Jesus had no need to test his heavenly father. He had perfect confidence in God and he didn't need to do anything spectacular to prove it. And so the second of uh, Satan's temptations fell flat again. But Satan wasn't done yet. Still one more. Verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now this, of all of Satan's temptations, may have been perhaps the most potentially appealing to Jesus. The whole reason that Jesus had come to earth, of course, was to bring about the kingdom of God, to, to free God's creation from the, the bondage and penalty and the curse of sin. But to do that, Jesus would have to take on the sin of every person. He would have to go to a cross and, and die a, a horrible death 
Jesus would suffer like no man ever had before or ever would since. But in these verses, the devil seems to be offering Jesus a shortcut around the cross. You know, if Jesus would just kneel down and worship him in this moment, the devil would just hand it all over to Jesus, right? No cross necessary. Now, of course, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. There really is no reason to believe that Satan would or even could deliver on his promises. Uh, while Satan does have some measure of, of dominion and authority over the kingdoms of the earth, the Bible's quite clear that Jesus' death and resurrection was the only way to redeem mankind. But nonetheless, uh, Satan's willing to, to say whatever it takes to try to get Jesus to worship him. You know, perhaps Jesus in his, in his weakened state would consider this a better option than going to the cross. And, and you've probably noticed this in, in your temptations too, that Satan always makes big promises, but he never delivers. You know, the, the, the promised thrill and the satisfaction of sin are never quite as good as what you imagine them to be. And they always come with hidden costs. You know, you have guilt and shame, broken relationships, and a whole host of other consequences that come along with that. Uh, and ultimately, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But of course, Satan never mentions that in his sales pitch, does he? It's important to remember the true cost of sin, especially in those moments when we're being tempted. And so for Jesus, while the idea of, of being able to avoid the cross may have been appealing, Jesus knew much better than to listen to Satan's empty promises. And so how does Jesus respond? Verse 10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. As he did both times before, Jesus again counters Satan's temptations by quoting the word of God, pointing to, to one of the, the clearest commands in scriptures that only God is worthy of our worship and our service. And it's at this point then that Satan went away for a time anyways, and the angels came and they took care of Jesus, meeting all of his needs that he had trusted God to provide for. Uh, even though Jesus had been tempted in, in every way, just as we are, and even though Satan attacked when, when Satan was at his, his weakest and most vulnerable, having fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, still, Jesus never sinned. He never gave in, not even once. He countered every temptation of the devil simply by quoting and then acting in obedience to the word of God. And that, I think, is probably one of the, the greatest applications that we can take from this and apply to our lives today. Our victory over sin and temptation is found in both knowing the word of God and then being obedient to it. And you'll notice there's two parts there. Uh, the first part is that you need to know what God has said in his word. And that means reading it or, or listening to it daily. You know, if you think it's important to put food in your body every day, how much more important is it to have a steady diet of God's word in your life, uh, in your heart and in your, uh, in your mind? Uh, Jesus said, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and that is 100% true. Uh, a constant diet of God's word in our lives is more important than food and drink. But of course, just knowing what the scriptures say is not enough. As we saw in our passage today, Satan knows the scriptures. The second part of our victory over sin and temptation is that we actually trust and obey the word of God. In every temptation that Jesus faced, he knew the truth of what the scriptures said, and then he chose to trust and obey that what God said was true. Even though he had very real and pressing needs that in the moment were unmet, 
Jesus still trusted that God would take care of him. Even when, when God's way seemed to be the long and, and painful and difficult way, Jesus trusted that God's way was best. And so this morning, I would just encourage you to follow the example of Jesus. That's a, an application for pretty much every sermon. Follow the example of Jesus. As Jesus had victory over the temptations that came his way, we too can have victory over the temptations that we face. You know, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Uh, this is a great verse, and a lot of people uh, go to it, especially when they're dealing with temptations. But I think the, the part that many people may overlook is that the way out that God will show us is written for us in his word, right? As, as Jesus has illustrated for us, every temptation that we face today can be answered by the word of God. Our task then is to know what the word of God has said and, and then to trust and obey that what God said is true. And so this morning, I would just encourage you just to be diligent in the time that you spend with God in his word, getting to know God so that you can trust him and knowing what he said in his word so that when those temptations come, we'll have the answers, the reply to that so that we don't give in. You know, we recognize that we have those needs and desires and those temptations are going to come to, to satisfy those needs and desires in, in any way possible that Satan might propose to us. Things that seem like a shortcut, a better way than what God has proposed. But I would just encourage you to get to know what God has said and then trust and obey that what he has said in his word is true. Go back to those scriptures and, and, and remember those things that God has said. As Jesus said uh, in Matthew that we read, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So choose today to live in obedience to every word that comes from the mouth of God. Dear God, we thank you so much for the example that we see in the life of Jesus as even though he was at his weakest, most vulnerable point, God, he, he was able to stand against the, the schemes and the lies of, of Satan because he knew what you had said and he trusted that what you said was true. God, I pray that that would be the, the pattern in our lives. May we be diligent in reading and, or listening to and in understanding your word so that when those, uh, those times of, of testing and trials and temptations come, and we know they will, that we'd be able to, to go back to the Bible and say, hey, God said this and I'm going to trust him. So God, I pray that we would follow that example this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.